0: Everybody. Thank you, Nick. Oh, it is good to be back on a Friday. I have missed like four Fridays uh, with all kinds of craziness with different events at the university. And then for those of you that uh, may not know totally or be dialed into this, I'm actually going to college myself right now. So I, I'm finishing a, a PhD, which stands for uh, personal health disaster uh, or public high school diploma or something like that. But anyway, I actually go to class in Spokane, Washington. Every other Friday, I got to go to Gonzaga University. And I've been doing it for three years. I got one more year to go starting this crazy thing called a dissertation shortly. Um, But I just, uh, uh, that's why I've had to miss some Fridays. It's temporary. I got to do a little bit more uh, after the first of the year, every other Friday. But on those Fridays, I'm gone. Um, And there's not a special thing that kind of changes the schedule. Uh, We know that uh, Mrs. H uh, can preach. And so next Friday, you're going to get another dose of uh, Karen Hagan. She'll be back in chapel next Friday. So awesome. And we are headed down right after chapel today. We obviously do our, our Friday prayer and fasting time. Vice President Graham will be leading that. We have got it run to Cedar Rapids, Iowa, uh, for all the Iowans here. And uh, we're going to be speak. Come on. Come on. Uh, and headed down there to speak at, at uh, the church. So, amen. I want to share for just a few minutes. And Chapel is fast and furious. And we just have had some phenomenal speakers come and grace us. And the thing about Chapel is that this is a freebie. I know you are... Required, But we have many of our students who don't have any chapel cuts yet. Um, if you've not missed a chapel, let me see your hand. Okay, you can put it down. I don't want you to get pride. Yeah, that person put two hands up and a leg like, I haven't missed chapel. Um, but this really is the centerpiece physically of our university. And we are like last uh, person standing in this country that has this kind of vibe And feel every day Um, now we keep our chapels creative um, because we you know it can get old Um, and our our team does a great job under Vice President Graham of just keeping chapel and the team just different Uh, but at the core what you just experience is what we experience on a weekly basis Monday through Friday at this university Um, and like I said we're like one of the last spaces in America that have a commitment Uh, to a space in a place like this and um, it is a phenomenal incubator it's kind of the magnet place that all of our different colleges come together in business and leadership and you know I was thinking today too what makes our university unique and this kind of hit me last night my whole life um, people have said oh Scott you're a leader of leaders and I would go like you know it sounds like a over-the-top compliment I think I've gotten a little bit more comfortable with that as I've gotten older And I understand what they're saying is that that God gives you opportunity, not better than anybody else, but just gives you um, a certain gift mix and a story that helps encourage other leaders. Um, And so when I look at North Central, I really believe, I look at the leaders of leaders that come out of this university that are literally watering the earth. So I was talking to Heath Adamson, you know, he's a leader, uh, he oversees all the student ministries. He's making a transition now, but a student ministry is for the whole United States. I look, I think of Dick Brogden, the founder of the Live Dead movement, leader of leaders. I could go on and show you in companies, business, um, the arts, uh, in worship and music, all over this place, and in missions, and every everything that we touch has produced leaders of leaders. And I think that is an absolute distinction about this house and about this university that it's producing. And so anyway, this morning, I want to talk with you uh, for a few minutes. Uh, my notes are kind of uh, landscaped here, so I got to turn my, my binder that way. Um, but it'll be normal up there. I want to talk to you about the secret. A simple teaching called the secret. Now, obviously, what is the secret? Um, I'm going to tell you what the secret is and what the subject matter is to the secret. I think everybody's trying to crack the code in life. Everybody's trying to get information quickly. In our day and age, uh, for us over 50, when somebody wanted to get somewhere quick, it was called a shortcut. If they tried to learn the tricks of the trade before the tools of the trade, we looked down on that person. Like that's not really wise. You're just trying to get there faster than I got there. Well, no kidding. Every generation is trying to get there faster than the previous one. This generation though doesn't see shortcuts um, as an act of laziness. They see it as an act of brilliance. The ability to wade through a variety of, of all the information and data that flies at you on a daily basis, the ability for editorial is equal to your ability for creativity. How do you throw away what is unnecessary in this life and discard it and package what is legit to deliver to this world uh, the life of Christ and his kingdom, um, no matter what you do? So everybody's trying to figure out how to get to the accurate heart of something, what is real, and not waste their time you know, swimming in waters that have no value to their future. People don't want to just go to schools. They want to be around people that look like their future. I don't mean look as in dress. I mean you embody something that I want to become. And you got to find schools like that. It's not just the logo or the sports team. you got to find places that embody where you want to head in your life with your family, your career, your leadership, your character, your calling, the anointing on your life. And so, but everybody's trying to figure out how to get there faster than the previous generation. There's nothing wrong with that. I bless that path. I bless the idea that getting somewhere fast and getting to the information with speed. Back in the day, when I was in high school, if somebody said, hey, who's the lead singer of, you know, whatever group, uh, what was your favorite group, Jeff Dio, back in high school? Genesis. Genesis, Genesis. Okay. So if somebody said... How biblical of uh, Jeff Dio to like Genesis. I mean, that's just like, he's just already as an unsaved dude, he's kind of aiming toward the Bible there. Um, But there was a group called, there was a metal group called Exodus too, so there was all kinds of Bible themes out there. (laughs) But if somebody said, who's the lead singer of Genesis? And you go, oh, uh," you'd have to live in that state of curiosity for at least a month. It would cause you to strike up conversations with people And that state of curiosity is what builds your mental muscle. It actually builds framework of the brain. Framework that is necessary for well-being, for memory, for gratitude, for resiliency. All of that framework is built as your brain framework develops that can capture the mystery of well-being and resilience. But nowadays, if someone said, who's the lead singer of Genesis? Somebody already checked. Is it Phil Collins? Check it out. Now, Jeff's impressed with me, right? But nobody here is because nobody knows who Phil Collins is. Uh, okay, there's a few folks. Okay, there's a few youth, few youth pastors in here that might know who Phil Collins is. But anyway, this whole quest to get there quick, I want to talk with you about it. I believe the two most important skill, kingdom skill and will behaviors in America right now are sense-making and relating. The two most important kingdom skill and will behaviors needed in America right now are sense making and relating. Why do you say skill and will? Whenever I'm dealing with somebody that's stuck, I ask myself, is this a skill issue or a will issue? So sometimes if you yell at somebody because you think they're stubborn and you think it's a will issue when really nobody's ever shown them what to do. For most people, it's a skill issue. I don't assume that you have a will problem in your life. Like, no, I just, I I don't want to do that. I believe most people don't know how to do that. And once somebody explains it to them, they're gonna soar. However, sometimes you explain something to somebody and it's a will issue. Something's wrong inside their heart. They don't care if they know what to do. They're not gonna do it for whatever reason. They don't like you, they're wounded. They're carrying regret, bitterness in their life, whatever reason. But will and skill is critical to leadership, kingdom leadership. I think the two most important will and skill behaviors in America right now is sense-making and relating. I'm going to show you how deeply biblical this is. I would also describe these qualities as prophetic empathy. In other words, you have to learn how to disarm before you learn how to engage, You disarm before you engage, prophetic empathy. The reason people say you're an engaging person, do you know why people say that someone's engaging? Is because actually what they've done first is disarm the situation. And I don't mean in a violent confrontation like a cop disarming somebody with a gun. I'm talking about somebody that's generally shy or scared of people, and nowadays, anybody you don't know is a threat. You gotta vet the threat. Anybody that is, that is strange to you is a threat to you, and you're defensive until some level of comfortability. Well, you're about to step into leadership. You've got to engage with people all over this world that don't know you. You're going to be uh, anointed and trained to be initiators all over this planet. So how do you initiate with a world that is suspicious of anybody they don't know? You have to develop disarming skills, not simply engaging skills. Because you have to disarm before you engage. You gotta get somebody to relax and open up their heart. The other day I was having a social media conversation with a person I never knew. They were a little aggressive, a little volatile, and I private messaged them and said, hey, my name is this, and I got kind of associated with the school or something, and we were the man, this faceless institution. Not Scott Hagen, looking you in the eye, trying to have a conversation and build rapport and a relationship with you. But once, even through texting, the use of language, the use how you can disarm, don't come back aggression for aggression. It was amazing how relaxed that person became. And we're gonna do a FaceTime later today from two cities just to talk through uh, his heart and his story. You gotta be able to disarm before you engage. And it takes sense-making and relating skills. Sense-making is, you've got to transact your story. You've got to do something with your story. You've got to do something with the narrative of this nation. You've got to do something with the global story. Leadership, no matter what your discipline is, you have to transact the emotions people feel with the current narrative, and you have to transact that into something else. You've got to turn your story into something. You've got to turn it into something that Appeals and inspires and opens up the hearts of people, even though the whole fundamental narrative is pain and chaos in our society. That's the skill set, the will, the will set. Your heart is open, it's willing, and God is teaching you how to develop sense-making and relating to a broken world. Real leadership sees before it speaks. You have to develop your ear before you develop your voice. Everybody's trying to find their voice. Nobody's trying to locate their ear. Because you have to hear before you speak. You have to see before you speak. You can't just walk up and start throwing logic at what you perceive as the hysteria of the other. It only grows the fire. You cannot fix problems involving human beings. You have to heal them. A car gets fixed... But our relationships, relationships are made whole. Only Jesus can untangle and heal a bruised life. Or the greater complexity of a broken city. He is still the prince of peace. There is nothing passive about Jesus. But his authority is a calming authority. Remember, the waves, they still obey him. So I want to talk to you about the secret for turning your story into something redemptive. How do we make the most of our life? Not in a narcissistic, I'm going to end up first way, but I'm gonna be my best. And being your best is entirely different than trying to be first. Going first is different than being first. And we're gonna teach you that mystery at this university. Here's the most important critical verse when I was growing up. In my early adulthood, this verse changed my life if I had to pick one verse that taught me more about relating and sense-making to a broken world, how to turn my story into something, it was this. Hebrews 9, 28 says, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear, Jesus will appear a second time, not to bear sin or to deal with sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So the Bible says there's two relational encounters that this planet has had with Jesus. The first relational encounter, he came to take away sin. That when he comes a second time, because when you're in relationship with somebody, you don't just talk to them once in your life and then that's it. You have multiple conversations. Jesus, when he comes a second time, it's not to do what he did the first time. It's to bring salvation. This pattern for sense-making and relating took my leadership to a different dimension. The template of Hebrews 9.28, it is so powerful. I'll break it down further. Now I'm going to walk you through Genesis 50, tie uh, Hebrews 9 together. I want to tell you a story backwards in the Bible. We're going to go from Genesis chapter 50, then Genesis chapter 45. So this is the story backwards. Genesis chapter 50, last chapter of the book of Genesis. It says, but now that their father uh, was dead, which was Jacob, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him. They said, so they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you, To forgive our sin, Joseph. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves before Joseph. And even to this day, I have a hard time preaching on Joseph. I've raised four little kids. I was a church planner. Our kids got in our little blue mini caravan every Sunday. They were like seven or like six, four, two, and infant. And my son Tyler, our firstborn Son, he would always sit in the back of the blue van. He'd get in the, in the car, and he was probably, what, four or five, maybe six. And I'd, I'd do my rounds like a good dad. Hey, what everybody learn in Sunday school? I'd look in the rearview mirror. Hey, Tyler, what did you learn in Sunday school? He goes, uh, Joseph. <laughs> Joseph. <laughs> So very cool. Love Joseph. Major character in the scripture. Love Joseph, son. That's fantastic. Next week we get in the car. Hey, how was Sunday school? What'd you learn today, son? He goes, Joseph. Whoa, a two-week series on Joseph to five-year-olds. This is an impressive church that I'm building here. Just the depth of scholarship. Phenomenal. Week three, I'm pulled out of the church parking lot. Everybody's in their space. Look in the rearview mirror. Hey, what'd you learn in Sunday school today, Tyler? He goes, Joseph. Three weeks on Joseph? Seriously? So I go, so week four, I said, hey, son, what'd you learn in Sunday school? He goes, Joseph. He spits it out again. He'd figured out as long as he drops Joseph, the conversation ends at that point in time. We hit Carl's juniors, and it was done with the interrogation going on. Went to the Sunday school teacher, and I said, we're doing like four weeks of deep dive with our kindergartners on Joseph? Really? I said, no, we haven't talked about Joseph in six months. I said, okay. So every time I see Joseph, I I can feel the spit coming out of my son's face trying to say, Joseph. Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God and, uh, and that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, Joseph said to his brothers, but God intended it all for good. We're talking about the secret, how to transact your story, how to transact the narrative of this nation because you are called to be a sense maker. Every one of you in this room, all of us, if we walk in kingdom authority, (coughs) in any facet of our life, people look to us Can you make sense out of this? And if you can't make sense out of your own upbringing, if you can't transact pain and some unfinished business of your own life into something meaningful and redemptive, you certainly cannot transact the chaos of culture that the world so desperately is going to be looking for you and I to do for them. So they say, you intended, so Joseph says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I'll continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Genesis 50 is 17 years after Genesis chapter 45. And Genesis chapter 45 is 20 years after Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery and betrayed at the highest human level. You talk about human trafficking, I know it's not in a sexual context, but human trafficking with Joseph and his brothers, it's unbelievable that that many blood brothers would sell you out into slavery. And so what happened is 20 years goes by, Joseph's brothers, because of famine, are driven to Egypt, and over those 20 years, God did something very special with Joseph. He elevated him, he changed the story of his life. Joseph transacted his betrayal into something redemptive. That's what you have to learn as you're learning science, as you're learning math, as you're learning theology, as you're learning all of these things. You have to fundamentally learn how to transact pain into redemption. If you don't, you're gonna spin like a kite or just fly off like a kite without a string. And you're gonna wake up and be 60, 70 years old saying, Where'd my life just go? You have to learn early and fast. The leaders that will have the greatest influence in this society and globe are those who will be able to transact their childhood into redemption. And the faster that that happens, with legitimacy and depth, the scope and scale that God has for all of you in this room, I can't even describe it, what's in front of you. So Joseph, he's sitting here in Genesis fifteen or 50, do the math. For 17 years, his brothers (coughs) have been living near him their dad was alive. 20 years before that is when he was sold into slavery. So do the math. 37 years has gone by. Some people do some stuff that's so terrible that they wonder even for 37 years if it's still in play. These brothers sold him 37 years ago. 20 years later, They meet Joseph, he welcomes them, gives them land, provision, protection, but they think he's only doing it because their father is alive. Now the father dies, and the deeper fears, the deeper fears kick in. Not the surface fears, the deeper fears kick in. And they believe that now that dad is dead, that Joseph is gonna extract vengeance against us for what we did to him 37 years ago. You can carry this stuff for a lifetime. Stuff that goes on in high school, stuff that goes on in college, you can carry it with you. They did for 37 years. It was real time again. He's going to kill us. So what's the secret? In Joseph's life, he said that God brought me to this position so I could save the lives of people. Don't be afraid. Genesis 45. Go backwards now. It says this. It's on the screen. The news soon reached Pharaoh's palace. Joseph's brothers had arrived. Pharaoh and his officials were all delighted to hear this. This is 17 years before Genesis 50. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers this is what you must do. Load your pack animals and hurry back. Uh, to the land of Canaan, then get get your father and all of your families and return to me. I will give you the very best land in Egypt and you will eat from the very best land that the land produces. How in heaven's name would Pharaoh be happy to hear that his best friend's brothers have just shown up? Think about it. 20 years earlier, Joseph is sold and betrayed by his brothers. Now he goes to Egypt through a series of dreams and God's intervention and faithfulness. He ends up promoted to Pharaoh's court. You're telling me that somehow over those 20 years, Joseph never, over Starbucks, casual, off the clock, Pharaoh never said, hey, dude, tell me about your life. Joseph, tell me about your life. He goes, you want to hear about my life? Well, I'll tell you what about my life. I had these brothers, and they did this, they did. And Pharaoh's going, what? Because Pharaoh loves Joseph. So Pharaoh's naturally going to take up his hatred for his brothers. How in the world (coughs) could Pharaoh be delighted to meet the brothers of Joseph 20 years after they sold him into slavery because Joseph transacted his pain and turned it into redemption And because Joseph never brought it up. Pharaoh's no spiritual giant. This was, Pharaoh never heard about this part of his life because Joseph had transacted pain into redemption and did not feel the need to spew his poison even to his friend. It's a shocking verse of scripture that Pharaoh would be delighted to see Joseph's brothers. Okay, almost done here. Here we go. Chapter 45, going backwards, there's our last verse. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. This is the big reveal. I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence, because they know their day of reckoning has come. Look what's going on in the media. Everybody that has been so sexually reckless, producing Hollywood, produces movies that do nothing but reinforce That behavior is now acting like the great self-righteous police. Nailing people for behaving in a way that the movies have told them to behave. That they created them. They acted in them. All of this stuff goes on in this other world of theater in Hollywood. And now all these people are going down every day. The day of reckoning has come. The day of reckoning was here for these brothers who sold their little brother out 20 years later. It's terrifying to be in your day of reckoning. And the Bible says here, and I'll get the musicians, you guys come up here. I think I, if I didn't get word, I do want to change. I want to sing at the end here. Here we go. Now watch this. I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers couldn't answer for they were dismayed at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer. And they came closer. And I bet they were shaking and trembling. I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And they're like, When's the sword coming down? Because now they're the minority and he's the majority. And he has the authority. And he says, Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. That's the secret. He transacted his life into redemption. The secret is to realize that people don't send you anywhere. No matter how mistreated, how abused we are in life, human beings are totally limited beneath the power of God's redemptive plan for your life. The Bible says that he said, God sent me ahead of you to preserve life, for famine has been in the land. The two years, there'll be five more. For God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore... It was not you who sent me here, but God. That's the secret. You want to have a life of influence and meaning for the kingdom of God? You have to limit the power you give people. They have not directed your life. They have not sent the verdict in on your life. Even if they have abused you, betrayed you, abandoned you, if you transact that into redemption through Christ, you will one day say, chill out, don't even feel bad because, you know, when you did that to me, you sent me up here and actually betrayal was promotion. My life is better because of what you did to me. That's what Joseph is saying. That's the secret. But as long as you give power, people power over you. I just want to tell you this as we close. Let's all stand. We are here to support you but not rescue you. This isn't a youth group. This isn't a camp. It isn't a convention. This is a university filled with emerging adults. I can't get out of bed for you in the morning. I can't turn off video games for you on Thursday night. You play till five in the morning. Now you're tired for a class. You're late this or that. All of that is working its way out of our lives as we become a dynamic self-governing emotionally ready, intellectually ready graduate of this university to go take this world. We're here to support you in every way imaginable, but nobody's here in this life to rescue you. Only Jesus rescues. We support one another. The second thing I pray over you is this is that you gotta know that a setback is a scent ahead. That's the secret. Nobody has the power to set you back church some phony this person phony that person an absent parent it's painful but i'm telling you that that pain is a catapult okay it's not a chain it's a catapult it gives you a competency that literally promotes you so that you can go up ahead and be waiting filled with the treasure of heaven in your life so that when the broken people who did that to you or the segment of society represented by those brothers comes to you, you don't go, hey, good, I got you in a back alley. I've been waiting for this for 20 years. He said, "No, nah, I was sent ahead of you so that I could give life to many. This guy could interpret dreams He helped run the economy for a nation, and he was the great liberator of the captives. I'm praying for that over you and your future. The secret, the secret is that nobody has the power to set you back once you come to Christ and you transact and convert the pain into redemption. It actually puts you into the future. You think that it's keeping you held to your past, but the miracle and the mystery of Jesus is that what he has done on the cross puts you and your pain, it puts you into the future and you're waiting up ahead for that broken world to arrive so you can liberate them and love them in a way that they've never known. That's the secret. God sent me here, not you dad and mom, whoever you have been, for some in this society, that person, that relative, that stranger that abused and hurt you, God has redeemed it and it's up to you now to take the pain and convert it into redemption. It's a promotion if you will let God do it fully in your life. It's a promotion. It's not a set back. So the most hurting person in here has been positioned by God to be the greatest among us, the greatest liberator of people. That's the power of Jesus. I would like us just to kick right into this song. We're going to just worship for a moment and we go in on Fridays. I know some of you have to leave in a second. Wait till the music starts. But we go into fasting and prayer and we want to open up these altars and just spend we spend an hour in fasting and prayer on Fridays. Um, uh, Vice President Graham's is going to lead this time. We have many of our faculty here and staff. I just want to tell the students who visited their parents, we love you. We would love to become your university of choice, your family, and have you talk about your alma mater for the rest of your life. Go back and think of someone from your hometown, all of you in this room, who needs to be at North Central. Send them a text. Give them a call. These altars are open. We love you. Let's go for it and let's worship.